Thanks, Fiona, for joining us today to have a a discussion about what you've seen from a financial counselling perspective on how people have managed through the last 12 months, which have obviously been pretty difficult for for some people. Um, I thought we might start off with just a bit about the financial counselling profession, which you obviously represent. What's the difference between a financial advisor and a financial counsellor? Oh, there's a big difference. So I'm the CEO of Financial Counselling Australia and financial counsellors help people who are experiencing financial hardship. And we expected during COVID that we would see a a lot of people in that situation. In fact, our phone numbers, for example, were about 30% lower than they were the year before. But just to go back, the big difference between financial counselling and financial advice is that financial advisors are helping people who've got money to invest. Financial counsellors are helping people who are struggling, who don't have enough money to make ends meet. So the reason that we actually had fewer people calling the National Debt Helpline or seeking face-to-face financial counselling was because of the great government and industry support packages. They provided a cushion and helped people get through what's probably been the for many of us, the most difficult times that people had possibly experienced in their lifetimes. So Fiona, you said that you were expecting quite a lot of um, calls from consumers in distress when COVID hit, but the calls didn't come. Can you just talk to us a bit more about why that was the case? Well, it surprised us. There were two reasons, probably. The first was that people living on unemployment benefits had their uh, incomes double overnight, and that just made a huge difference. Thousands of people had enough money to make ends meet. And if you ever needed evidence that the cause of financial hardship is just not having enough money, we've just seen it. We've just had a big social experiment. People could fill their fridges, they could pay off their bills. You would have seen that through bank statistics, people paying down debt. The other reason, uh, and this is contested about whether it was good policy or not, and I won't comment on that, but the government also allowed people to access their superannuation in two bites of up to $10,000. So potentially up to 20000 all up. And about half of the stimulus in the economy came through that. Large numbers of people use that to pay down bills. We've just seen that data from the Australian Bureau of Statistics. And that that also meant that fewer people were calling financial counsellors. Having said that, uh, we did get quite a lot of calls and visits to our website about that particular issue. Should I, shouldn't I do that? Which was really good because we could give people advice about whether there are other options and whether it was in their best interests or not to, to go down that path. Um, obviously, as a bank, we were able to offer customers who were experiencing financial distress deferrals on home loans, for example. Do you feel that the supports that the banks, so putting aside the government support, but the, the support from banks was adequate? I think if you take yourself back to the uncertainty and overwhelming sort of experiences that we're all having in March and April of 2020, the fact that the industry came out very quickly and said, we are going to provide automatic loan deferrals to our mortgage customers and different banks had different responses for their unsecured credit cards and personal loans. I think that that was absolutely seminal in creating a sense of stability for people. You provide a breathing space that took a weight off people's minds Mm -hmm. and it was incredibly important. It set a signal to other industries as well. So then we had the electricity industry and telecommunications industry, we had landlords. So everybody sort of 
pulled together to make sure that we could get through this. Do you think there was a, a sense of surprise maybe amongst some of the clients that, that financial counsellors see that banks were willing to step in in that way? I think there probably was. Look, looking back on it, I, I suppose there is no playbook. There's no rule book for something like this. So we were making it up as we went along. One of the things I think we've learned during COVID is that things that we thought were impossible that we could do to help support people and make Australia and the world a better place are actually possible. And I'm really worried that we're forgetting some of those lessons now. That's probably going beyond banking, but the idea that people could have jobs, that they could have enough money to live on, they could get access to childcare if you're an essential worker. Those kind of things were just so important. Yeah, sense of fairness. I think, and trying to help people who were in difficult situations. I know certainly at ANZ we felt that was extremely important and it was a a way for us to live our purpose really as well. The bank's purpose is to shape a world in which people and communities thrive. So it was our opportunity to step up, not only as, as one bank, but I think as an industry to be able to do that was incredibly important. In terms of the support that was offered by the banking sector. Did you see some examples where, you know, banks maybe went over and above with clients beyond sort of the deferrals, um, you know, some best practice, I guess, that, that came out of that time? I think the overall best practice was this, even though it was a blanket deferral, but to be much more flexible, to realise that actually working with your customers to provide more options is actually good for customers. It's also good for you. It's financial wellbeing and emotional wellbeing. And those two things are so linked. So we know financial hardship and mental health issues are two sides of the same coin. One of the things that we were keen to do was to give customers a sense of certainty about what they could expect. So um, quite early on, we developed a um, statement of intent. It's a one-page document. It sits on our website where customers could go and they could understand what um, to expect from us. So what were the supports on offer, how we would communicate with them, what would happen in the event that they were unable to um, get beyond even the deferral period. So we, you know, we obviously understand that there will be people who will experience ongoing financial difficulty. Um, Do you think that kind of statement, I mean, it is just a piece of paper, but it was designed to kind of say to people, this is how you will be treated. And um, I'll acknowledge, Fiona, that we asked you to take a look at it before we finalised that document, because we were very keen to get um, a financial counselling perspective in there. Do you think that kind of thing is helpful? It's always helpful, I think. You've got to work from principles and then down into practice. It's hard for me to know how helpful that was because one would assume that that was translated from rhetoric into reality, but certainly there'd be nothing nothing that one could criticise in that document. That was a useful document talking about how you would try and communicate and provide arrangements that worked for people. And it's also, it probably sends as much to customers, it sends a signal to the people who are answering the phone because you had to pull people from out of branches and we know in financial counselling that people can be very judgmental. If they've never if they've never walked in the shoes of somebody who was in that situation, what it feels like 
uh, people are incredibly embarrassed about this because money is such a taboo subject mm, in our it's community. Very personal, yeah. We don't talk yeah. about how much we earn. We don't tell people about when we're experiencing financial hardship. We put on a brave face to the world. And you imagine what it's like to talk to somebody who's living at home with mum and dad and you they're asking you very personal questions about how much you earn, how much money you've got in your bank, what your spending habits are. That's really difficult and you don't know whether you're going to be treated with empathy and respect. And so a, a statement that says that you will do that, it's really important because it holds holds you to account, but then it's got to be operationalised. And based on the feedback we had from financial counsellors during the pandemic, it pretty well was across the board. The problems that we saw were that sometimes people didn't really understand how their hardship arrangements worked and we forget because we all work in finance and we forget that this is actually complex that people don't really understand the impact of capitalizing interest and what might happen at the end and so communication is just so critical and you can never do too much of it having said that I know that some customers didn't want to communicate (laughs) and it's, it's never easy to it's never easy to get it right but you've just got to keep on playing away. Yeah, I think that's a good point though. I mean, there's a few things that would be good to unpack in that, um, Fiona. One is around um, people not really understanding what deferrals meant. I mean, I had had conversations with friends where they, they thought the banks were basically just telling people, don't worry about paying your mortgage for the next six months. And when I said, well, no, actually, that's not the case, quite a few of them were, were pretty disappointed and said, well, that doesn't sound right. The bank should just absorb that. And that, I thought that was quite an interesting perspective to have. So I guess that that was one thing. Did you come across that sort of yes, um, notion that the bank should just waive that debt during the period? Yeah. And how, how do you have that kind of conversation with a client? I heard that from some of my colleagues yeah. uh, in, the, in the consumer movement that the, the bank should have taken more of the pain. But at the time of the this was happening, that was not clear. I think that's only become clearer later on because a lot of people have been able to get back on track. It's messy because you play such a critical part in society if you if you took such, if you took a really big hit, then no one else could ever borrow money again. So your capital would have would have been affected. So it's a it's a policy wonk argument to make. Are you concerned about what's going on in the housing market at the moment and, um, you know, that combination of low rates, you know, the the pricing boom, are you concerned that, you know, we might end up in a situation where people aren't able to afford those properties in the future? I'm incredibly concerned if responsible lending laws are repealed, as the financial counselling sector is. And we base that on our casework experience when we see the importance of responsible lending in stopping some of the worst excesses that were pre the Banking Royal Commission. And we know what will happen if we go back to that. There is a there is a danger. There is no doubt there is a danger that if interest rates go up in the longer term, that people who have borrowed as much as they possibly could, and it makes sense to for you to do that. That's what you all do. That you would any of us would do, are going to struggle in the future. But how that plays out. I don't know. You could have said this a few years ago when Sydney property prices were going through the roof and you'd you'd think, oh, gosh, I hope these people are going to be all right. Now it looks like they're financial geniuses when there's a fair bit of luck in this 
There really is. One of the things that we hope we take away from the pandemic is this continued flexibility that you need to work with people for longer than what banks have done in the past. We're worried about what might happen for people who are still going to not be able to get back on track, whereas large numbers of your customers have. We don't want them to be forgotten. We don't want messages going to them saying, well, you've had your fair share you know, it's back to normal. We don't want to go back to that sort of normal. We want banks to be with people for as long as they possibly can be. One of the things that some banks did better than others, I think, was assist people with unsecured debt uh, and were more flexible. And I think some banks, I particularly like what one bank did around providing a clear message to people that we will not, if you, if your home's at risk, you will not be in a position where we sell that from under you by September this year. Now, I know that's actually the reality for every bank, but I think the clarity and that peace of mind that provided for customers would have been really helpful. So there's this ongoing discussion, I think, about how financial hardship should change as a result of the pandemic. But having said that, we hold the banks up, the four major banks in particular, to the smaller, the non-major banks, and also to other industries, to the telcos in particular, who really need to improve financial hardship, and, and some of the utilities as well, because you have been on a, a journey of improvement over the last number of years. So this idea of affordability, which just makes sense <laughs> Give something that people can afford. Don't set them up to fail. Sophie, I know we've talked a bit about the flexibility that the banks have been able to offer and empathic treatment of customers. Is that something you're seeing outside of the banking sector? I think what the pandemic has done is that it's alerted every single industry to the need to make sure that their financial hardship practices are not second to the other parts of the business so that they focus on them. We're starting to see signs, obviously, utilities are starting to introduce disconnections again. Uh, The same thing will be happening with rents increasing. So financial counsellors are starting to report face-to-face services are starting to get busier. The phone service, not so much yet, so we'll wait and see. But mortgage and rental stress seem to be the things which are coming through. And as I there are this group of people who are not back on track. And I'm, I think we're all really worried that the caravan might move on, but there are people who are going to be affected really long-term from the pandemic and they need our support and they need, uh, they need to be treated fairly. And I don't think we have fully seen how the impact on small business is going to flow through. I mean, this is, we don't have a roadmap. No, we don't know what's going yeah, to happen. Yeah, and we're the, still in the middle of it really yeah, too. But we've got this roadmap. We've got some learnings we need to take out of 2020, which is uh, about, hey, believe people, work with them, walk beside them, treat them with empathy. And as you said, Anna, at the beginning, be consistent with your purpose and treat people fairly. If we do those things, then we'll be well-placed to leave Australia in a better place. We don't want to go through the hell of 2020 and not have something good to show at the end of it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Fiona. Thank you very much for your time today. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Blue Notes. This podcast was produced by the Blue Notes editorial team with music by Kevin McLeod. Blue Notes is a publication of ANZ Banking Group.